Good morning. We are in the last uh, sermon on Luke. And like Ken said, we've been in this since late 2019. And so some of you may feel it's been too long. But I will tell you that Martin Lloyd-Jones preached 240 sermons out of the book of Romans. So if you were in his church, you would have only been two-thirds of the way done. So suck it up, snowflakes. You got one more sermon here we're going to get through. So um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about a, kind of what happens behind the curtains with um, with sermons. And so the the elders um, sketch out a sermon uh, plan, and then they ask speakers to speak. And and the elders give um, broad latitude to the speakers they ask to speak. So we usually get kind of a, a title and a section, and um, and then go forth and prosper. Um, and that works really well much of the time. I'm going to tell you this week it didn't. So here's what happened. So last week, Dan Hickman spoke. Emmaus, Rodemaeus, were you all here, Rodemaeus? All right, raise your hand if you were here last week. Okay, no judgment here if you weren't. Okay, you were hunting. Right, I know. So anyway, Dan Hickman spoke, and um, I'm sitting back where Julie is there. I'm sitting in the back corner. And um, Dan starts speaking, and the thought comes into my head, he's speaking my sermon. Now, for, for those of you that don't know me, I, I need, I, I'm a guy who, I like a long time before I speak to think in my head about my sermon. So Dick will tell you, I need a long on-ramp between the time the elders ask and the time I speak. And the reason is, is because, like, I get anxiety if I don't have in my head, like, three or four weeks in advance at least what my outline is, right? So last week, I'm back there, and, like, I've already got my whole sermon. I could have preached my sermon last week, okay? And then Dan starts preaching my sermon, okay? So anyway, I'm sitting back, and I'm getting anxiety, and I'm like, okay, it's okay. Just as long as he doesn't mention Genesis 3.15, I'm fine. And then he mentions Genesis 3.15. And I'm, okay, it's okay, just as long as it's not Psalm 22. And then he talks about Psalm 22. And last one, just please, Lord, not Isaiah 53. And then he brings up Isaiah 53, right? And so I, I am basically thinking, all right, I gotta do my whole sermon over. Gotta do the whole thing again. I'll just, Say uncle and do the sermon the missions committee wished I did and talk about missionaries. And then I'm like, no, I won't. I'm going to reject the missions committee's subliminal pressure on me. And I am going to talk about the same thing that Dan Hickman talked about. All right. Because if Jesus wanted to bring it up twice, why should I not bring it up twice as well? So you're going to hear a little bit today with my take on it. A little bit about um, the same sort of concepts that Dan talked about last week, and I hope repetition will cement it in your mind. So that's a good thing, right? So you will remember that Dan talked about um, the road to Emmaus, the disciples didn't know who Jesus was, and then he enlightened them. And then at the last minute, he revealed himself to them and he left. But a lot of it was about enlightenment, about who Jesus was, and what the plan had been all along. And I actually think the entire last chapter of Luke, Luke 24, is really, that's the theme that Luke is emphasizing over and over and over again. He's emphasizing that Jesus is clarifying a problem that had 
been throughout his ministry on earth, and he's making sure before he goes to heaven that he makes everyone well aware of what the plan actually was. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Jesus' final thoughts. Now, I thought about this final thought things because if you look at the four Gospels, the, the, the authors write about slightly different things that Jesus said, but these, this is clearly some of Jesus' very final thoughts, things that he thinks it's important to reiterate to his disciples, to reinforce to his disciples, okay? So we're going to look at final thoughts, and then... In my opinion, these final thoughts, Jesus is emphasizing what I would consider first things. And what I mean by first things is principal things, important things. What is it like if you're heading away? So some of you know my daughter's going to Thailand in January and the Peace Corps for two years. I don't know if she wanted me to tell you that, but now you all know. So before she leaves, I will have final thoughts and I will tell her, I'm a talker, so I've already had many final thoughts with her. But I will have additional final thoughts, and I will tell her final plan or final ideas about what I think. That's what I think Jesus is doing here. We are not going to cover all of 36 through 53. Too many verses. So I'll just tell you, Road Emmaus, those disciples come back. They meet with the other disciples. They tell them what's happened, and suddenly Jesus shows up. In the middle of the disciples, okay? And he says, peace to you. And he shows them his hands and feet where he's been damaged, where he's been pierced. And he asks, for, he says, I'm hungry, I want something to eat. And he munches on a little bit of fish. And then he talks to them about the verses that we're going to talk about today, okay? So he's going to share with them final thoughts. Before we get to what he shares, I want to talk about why, in my opinion, it's important to think about first things. So, in the church today, um, there are, and Dan mentioned this as well last week, there are lots of things that can, that Christians can be thinking about that Jesus shared or that Jesus communicated with them, or that the Bible in general, the apostles or the people in the Old Testament, people over here. You know, there's a lot about work and how we talk about work as Christians and how we think about work and where work is as a priority in our life. We can talk about that. There's a lot about money, right? Money, Jesus talks about money a whole lot and how we manage money and kind of what how we conceptualize the value of money versus the value of non-monetary things. Church, we can talk a lot, a lot about church, a lot of important discussions about church. We've had important discussions about church here at Westside, the way church leadership is structured. Do we pay for youth group workers? You know, we've had that discussion here. And those are all important things. Theology, lots of discussions, lots of debates on different kinds of theology. Um, politics, we talk about politics in the Christian worldview, family, how we raise the family. And then that little clock on the, on the side over there is kind of like end times. There's discussion on end times. I'll tell you a little story. And we don't, we don't dwell on sort of the end times thing here. People have different opinion, but I'll tell you this story. Um, maybe 10 years ago or so, I got, um, there's a website called raptureready.com. 
okay? RaptureReady.com. I'm not recommending it. It's not a bad website. I'm just not recommending it for long perusal. And, is you know, the guy basically, he has all these, he identifies kind of all the things the Bible says is going to happen near the end of the world. And then he linked all these news articles to him, and he had this little clock that was nearing midnight. And every day you could look at all the news, you know, Mark of the Beast and Satanic Activity and all this stuff. And I, like, went down that rabbit hole. Like, I went down that road, like three or four nights a week, I was trolling that website, watching the little clock, little clock, little clock, you know. And nothing wrong with that, right? It was, it, 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 there was, I think the guy's a serious Christian, and he was trying to convert people, and he was, you know, talking about being ready for Jesus. But like, I went deep down that rabbit hole, and you can do that, and that's okay. But what is important is, occasionally we come back and we think, what, where is the foundation? What is the absolute principal bedrock that we in this room, if you're a Christian, that we in this room come all together and stand on? And that's what I think Jesus is addressing here. So we're going to look at verses 44 through 47 in Luke. And you can turn this. I will say, when I speak, I try to have very few verses, but I'm Jim williams in it today. Okay, lots of verses. If you want to do the sword drill, you're going to have to do the sword drill with me because we've got like 20 verses here all over the Bible we're going to talk about. But here's our fundamental portion. This is Jesus talking to the disciples and he says, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. See, if you were listening last week, that sounds familiar. That sounds like Genesis 3, Psalm 22, right? Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, this is in my opinion, this is first things, foundational stuff. This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You, he's talking to his disciples, are witnesses of these things. I think Jesus is bringing them back, and we're going to talk about some specifics here. He's bringing them back to the foundational principle, to the thing that we should, at the end of the day, narrow our focus and make sure that we are in agreement with Jesus Christ and in agreement with God about what are the foundational things. So this is what we're going to talk about. We're going to have, I have three things. Jesus was clearing up some confusion. On this, we're going to talk about what the confusion was. He clarified it, he corrected the confusion, and then he made the contract. Now, I thought about the word contract, I'm not sure it's quite right, but I was in an alliterative mood, so I needed them all to start with C. So, contract, alright? So those are the three things we're going to talk briefly about here. The confusion, the clarification, and the contract. All right, the confusion. And again, Dan talked about this. We're reviewing, okay? 
And, but you must, I will say, you must get this in your mind. You mu- this must be solidly in your mind when you try to understand the Gospels and what was happening through what was recorded about Jesus' three-year ministry here. The disciples never, never is a strong word, I believe never really understood that Jesus was coming to die for the sin of the world as a substitutionary sacrifice. Okay? If you look through the New Testament, the Gospels, there was constant confusion about why Jesus was here. They thought he was here as a great teacher. In fact, the Bible says they marveled at his teaching. Right? The crowds came because he spoke like no man had ever spoken, right? They loved his miracles. They loved coming and seeing Jesus do something really cool, right? They loved it when he smack-talked the Pharisees. Like it was awesome, truth to power kind of thing, and you could stand there and watch that. They loved all that, and they wanted to see him also as a liberator. They wanted to see him. And this is, Dan spoke of this yesterday. Those, and we're going to talk about those Emmaus disciples, they want, they saw the Messiah, and their hope in Jesus was he was the liberator of Israel. He was going to deliver them from the hassle of the Romans, right? And you can see this repeatedly in the Gospels. And I have just written a couple of examples, okay? So you will remember Peter, Apostle Peter, one of the three tightest disciples with him. Remember, he makes his great proclamation at Caesarea Philippi. You are the son of the living God, right? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus turns to him and says, Peter, God showed you that. Right. And then Jesus starts talking about how he will need to die. And Peter says to him, God forbid it, Lord, this should never happen to you. Right. So Peter's like, wait, 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 wait. I'm not. We're not doing the death thing. And Jesus has to turn to Peter and say, get behind me, Satan, like this really hard, strong statement about Peter misunderstanding Jesus role here. There was a, a, an episode where Jesus cast out this demon and, and the disciples couldn't cast him out. There was confusion around it. Then Jesus comes and casts it out. And he says to the disciples, let these words sink into your ears for the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand. And then it goes on to say, and they were too scared to ask him what he was talking about. Okay. After his death. So this is, these are men who had been with Jesus For three years, right? Now his death, his crucifixion occurs, right? The disciples are standing back, right? They're denying him. They're fleeing from him, right? They're hidden. They're way in the back, right? They're not like, yes, this is the culmination of Jesus' ministry. They drew back in dismay and fear and unfaithfulness that Jesus was the Messiah. And in fact... In this chapter, in Luke 24, early on, when the women go to the tomb, the women say, they run back to the disciples, and they say, we saw Jesus. He's risen. And the disciples say, these words appeared to them as nonsense, and they would not believe them. And then Dan talked about the Emmaus disciples last week, right? We hoped Jesus would redeem Israel. 
That's what they said. They were describing what they thought was supposed to happen to Jesus, who they didn't know who he was. Right. So all through. And I think it's critical we get in our head as a fundamental principle. The disciples thought of him as a liberator and as an awesome teacher and as a miracle worker and a prophet. They never, never, never understood that Jesus fundamental purpose for coming to earth was a substitutionary death for sin. Okay. Now, you might think, oh, those silly Jewish people back then, how could they be so dumb? Here we are today, okay? If you talk to the world today, if you talk to most people today in the world, they think Jesus was a good teacher. You know, like, if we, Jesus, introduced the Sermon on the Mount, if the world would just adopt the Sermon on the Mount, it would be a great place. Jesus introduced the way through the Sermon on the Mount. Love each other. Put each other first. Don't be too greedy. Right? All those things. Like, why can't we just... Jesus was such a profound teacher. So cool. Right? Or that Jesus is a pacifist. Like, Jesus, like, the ultimate example of pacifism. Right? His enemies, and he didn't fight back. And like, if if a government would just beat their swords, just follow Jesus' example, right, and beat their swords into plows, the world would be a better place. Just one government did that. The world would start to revitalize. See, that's how people think of it today. So, in 2019, 46% of self-identified British Christians believe that Jesus died on the cross to save them from their sins. So that means over half of British Christians don't think that Jesus died on the cross to save them from their sins. That's a pretty stunning number. And if you think, oh, those silly Brits, you know. So there you go, April of 23, right? 650 self-proclaimed Christians. 52% think you can get to heaven by good works. 52% of self-proclaimed Christians. So the predominant worldview of Jesus isn't that he came to save people from their sins, right? It isn't that that was his fundamental work. It was that Jesus was a good guy and such a tragedy. The world always kills the best and the brightest. And wow, that's too bad that happened to Jesus. Okay, Jesus is putting that aside. So that's the confusion. That's the confusion. All right, what's the clarification? This is labeled. Oh, so here's the verse, okay? This is what is written in the Law of Moses, the Prophets, and the Psalms. And he opened their minds so they could understand the Scriptures. So he's going to clarify what his mission was. Okay? This is the Dan Hickman slide. Okay? You saw this slide last week, except I don't think Dan had a slide. All right. We're going to go briefly through just thinking about, so if Jesus, imagine Jesus with the disciples. And Dan had us do this last week. Imagine Jesus. And he's like... I just want to walk you through some things, disciples, about the Old Testament. And he starts, and then Genesis 3, he's, so God is talking to Satan, and God says, the seed of the woman, some ancestor, not ancestor, the other way, of the woman will crush your head, Satan, but you will strike their heel, Right? And Jesus is like, so that's about me, right? That's about me. Can you hear him saying like that Moses wrote that about me? 
And then he says, so why do you think Cain's sacrifice of veggies was worse than Abel's? Blood was shed. And then Job and Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, all of them doing these sacrifices and blood being shed. And you can say, you can hear Jesus saying that that was all prefiguring me. What happened to me when you guys thought it was the end, right? And then he goes to Egypt and that amazing night when the destroyer angel passes through the land and he kills every firstborn except for the Jewish slaves huddled in their little huts that had blood on the side and the top of the door. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And Jesus is like, that lamb, that Paschal lamb that we talk about, the Passover lamb, which then became a part of Jewish history, that's me. That's me being the substitute so that the destroyer angel doesn't kill. Right? And then he goes to the Psalms. And again, there's Psalm 22, right? Oh, my heart melts like wax, right? My bones are out of joint. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth, right? And he describes that. And he also talks about, i got to go to my thing because I have a couple more here. You put me in the depths of the pit. Your wrath lies heavy upon me. They put gall in my food. And they gave me vinegar to drink. And Jesus can almost say like, Remember what just happened to me? Like, they put vinegar up there. That's me they're talking about. And then the prophets, right? Lamb to the slaughter. His face was so disfigured. Right? Zechariah, they will look on me, the one they have pierced. God will strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. And so, Jesus goes through the, the law. And again, there's nothing here about a good moral teacher. There's nothing here about a pacifist, right? This is all about a substitute for sin. That's what this is about. And then if we look at Jesus' own words, right? So he talks about the law and the prophets. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected. Right? And after the triumphal entry, he comes into Jerusalem. And then he says... My soul is troubled, but for this purpose, I came, right? For God did not send the Son into the world to judge, but to redeem the world, right? And finally, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus clarifies First things here, first things, the reason he came into the world is to die for us sinners and to create a substitutionary sacrifice so that we can be right with God. That's his reason. And I know you can Google, why did Jesus come into the world? There's 31 things on one website. But to me, Jesus is coming back here at the end of Luke and he's saying, This is what's going to be preached. I came into the world to save sinners. Right? All right. We're going to do a little thing to help you remember. So in the original King James, so the version I'm using says the Christ 
will suffer. In the original King James, it says, thus it behooved the Christ to suffer. Now, I, show of hands, show of hands. How many people use behooved as a part of your general vocabulary? Eric Nystrom, uh, sweet, okay, all right, all right, good, good. Well, for the rest of you, I was hoping no hands went up there, guys, but no. So here's what I want, okay? I want you, so behooved means it was necessary for Christ to come into the world. It was essential that Christ came into the world. It was essential it was the plan that he came into the world to die for us, right? It was essential that he suffer. So to help you remember that, I'm going to ask that you use behoove twice in your conversation this week. That's the homework. You're going to use it. But the reason I want you to do this is every time you use it, what I want you to remember is that it was essential that Christ came. I want you to link behooved with the concept that it was essential that Christ suffered. So, Tawny, I'm going to give you, I'm going to throw some stuff out. Eric, it behooves you to mow the lawn so the neighbors stop yelling at us. Okay, so there you go. All right. Son, it behooves you to do your math homework so you can get into any college at all. Okay, so you could use that. Uh, kids, so kids, Craig, I'm going to give you one. You're going to say this to your mother on the way home, okay, today. Mom, it behooves us to stop at McDonald's for some chicken nuggets. Okay, now don't be surprised, Craig, if your mom says, Craig, it behooves us to go home and eat broccoli. Okay, so, okay, we're going to all use the word behooved at least once or twice, but I don't want you to think about nuggets, Craig. I want you to think that when I say the word behooves, it reminds me that it was essential. It was a first thing that Jesus came and died and suffered for us. All right, finally, the contract, the good news. So what's all this about? This is the end of the sermon. We're almost done here. Good news. So Mark uses the word gospel, right? We all know gospel stands for good news. So the good news is this. Like this, so remember the disciples thought this was bad. Oh no, Jesus died, right? But the good news is that Jesus will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. Okay? Don't think of the death of Christ as a bad thing, like the disciples were before he clarified this. It is the best news on the face of the planet, right? Jesus' death and resurrection, what that means is you and I can be made right before God. So when we think about the good news and what our, what the process is, can be, I don't want to say complicated, but sometimes repentance is emphasized. Sometimes faith is emphasized, right? If you read the overall readings of Jesus and all the apostles, both are important. Repentance and faith. And so I've written what I think it is. A change of mind, that's repentance. 
that ends up in trusting that Jesus Christ died and forgave me from my sins. That's it. It's a change of mind. It's a change of direction from that. If you're one of those 52, 54% that think that good works can get you to heaven, it's a change of that to place your dependence on Jesus Christ, which results in faith. The other way to look at it, Christ's death happened. Jesus is affirming that. Our response, which is repentance, and then the benefit is forgiveness of sin, which is what this says here. So, last slide. We're moving beyond verse 47 here. This is the good news of the contract. Listen to this. I think this is so awesome. So these were the disciples. Remember the disciples? Scared, upset, fearful, non-believing, didn't understand. He tells them this. He goes through the book of Moses, the prophet, and the law. And then he leads them out as far as Bethany. And he lifts up his hands and blesses them. And while he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried into heaven. And they, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And were praising God in the temple. Here's, here's, here's the action item for you all. If you have not repented trusted in Jesus, you can have great joy. You can have the greatest joy in the world. Greatest joy. Trust Jesus that he died for you. These are Jesus' final thoughts that he's giving people. Trust Jesus that he died for you. And if you have, here's my ask of you. Because even us Christians sometimes struggle with great joy. Right? Because we, we get caught up in all the other stuff of Christianity, of which, again, there are important things, important things about family and money and church structure and theology and all of that. But remember when you're caught up and you are not joyful. Remember this. Jesus died for you. And you are right with God. Nobody can take that from you. Nobody can remove from you the ultimate place where you will go and where you will be. Keep that joy. Keep that joy based on the foundational things. In preparation for Christmas, since Ken said it's fall. Joy to the world. I'm just going to read the the third verse. No more let sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He came to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Have joy in your place and position in Jesus Christ. I'm going to pray. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to hear the story of Jesus through Luke, through the inspiration of Luke's writing. Help us to all... Uh, revel in the joy that Jesus Christ brings for dying for our sins and that God forgives us of our sins through the substitutionary death of Jesus. Thank you for that. Help us to incorporate that into our hearts and minds as we work this week. Amen.